I don't know uh, if you have heard uh, about something like white noise. Now, you know, I raised children long, long time ago. And um, these days, we hear that quite a lot at home with our grandson there at the moment. Um, there's apparently pink noise as well and brown noise. It depends on, on the frequency. But it sounds more or less like this. And uh, are you ready for that? Okay. That's it. <laughs> and sometimes there's waves and other things as well. Now, apparently, this noise helps you to relax. Uh, it helps you to fall asleep. It uh, cancels out some other noises so that a baby can sleep. And, and some people sleep with this sound all the time. Um, so that anything that, that may disturb you, uh, that, that's cut out. We know that there are very, uh, lots of other noises uh, around, but, but this helps us to, to not hear it. Is, is Isaiah 43 like white noise? Cancelling out, making us a little bit relaxed when it says, Do not be afraid, I will save you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. When you pass through fire, you will not be burned. The hard trials that come will not hurt you. Is, is that sort of a numbing of our situation? This week, the rugby world was shocked by the death of the 37-year-old Dan Vickerman, South African-born, moved to Australia when he was about 21, and eventually played 63 tests for Australia. Very intelligent man, armed with degrees in business and land economy. One of his degrees, he interrupted his, his international um, career as a rugby player to study at Cambridge for a year or two. He was active within the Rugby Union's Player Association. And he was supported by a well-extended, well-connected network at the Sydney Rugby Club. He appeared to be someone who was ideally placed to make a su successful transition from the world of professional sport to ordinary life, but died tragically this week, leaving a wife and two young children. The circumstances that led to his death could be seen as a so-called transition that he had to make. The Australian Rugby Union president said, and they said, 
we do take this issue very, very seriously. And this tragic incident will cause us as a game to ensure we are to do everything possible to work with players. Tragic, tragic transition. Someone who couldn't cope with this in his life. With white noise, you see, you can comfort children, but not adults. We know the difficulties of life. We know about the waters and the fire. We know about the worries in life, the worries about our children, our grandchildren, our finances. We know all of this. We don't know what lies ahead for little Jack. Nobody knows. We know about the struggles of falling and having to get up again. We know about sin and guilt. So what does Isaiah 43 mean to us? We will know that life is sometimes very difficult. As adults, we very often need encouragement and much more than plain white noise. In a certain sense, we are very happy. I am very happy that Isaiah 43 is not just white noise. White noise is just temporary, sort of too good to be true, a little bit unrealistic, cutting out certain things. But God's promises in Isaiah 43 is so different. Everything that is said here to comfort people is built and based on the indestructible foundation of God's love and promises. During January, I had the, the privilege of seeing my grandchildren, uh, all seven of them, and, and the last two uh, were just turning a year while I was there. The other five knew me and trusted me, and they sat on my lap, and I could play with them and make jokes with them. But the two small ones looked at this strange man. Who is he? Where does he come from? And I remember one morning I went uh, with my daughter to fetch uh, the, the, the young year, one-year-old at the nursery, and, and uh, I said, you stay in the car and I'll go and fetch her. And I, I, I'm telling you the look that I got from that little one. Who are you? What are you doing here? Are you going to take me? And eventually she had to come with me. What I'm trying to say is that when you're in a relationship with God, you know that you can trust Him. When you're not, you need to hear a few things from this God, a few reassurances so that you can trust Him and love Him. What are the promises of God to those trusting Him already and those who 
like my two granddaughters, still have to learn to trust me. The first thing that Isaiah says is that God is able to fulfill his promises because he has already done it. He's a faithful God. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3. When you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. You remember what happened to Israel when they left Egypt? They went through deep waters. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. Throughout the desert and all the problems they had, He walked with them and guided them. And God says, like I did in the past, I will do now in your life. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who saves you. The one who has saved them from Egypt will do it again. And therefore he says, I will give up all nations to save your life. From the distant east and the farthest west, I will bring your people home. I will tell to the north, come. And to the south, do not hold them back. Let my people return. Let them start all over again. I'm giving them a new beginning. This is about God's total control of our situation. God is manipulating forces in Persia and Egypt to support what He has in mind for His people, for the calling that He has on their lives. And because He's done it before, He says, I can do it again, and I will do it again. If we jump to the New Testament, we know that the church of Jesus Christ, of which we are part, we are also the people coming from the land of slavery of sin, and we're on our way to a promised land. One day, when we will be with God. And on this way, the Lord says, I will walk with you. Yes, we can, Barack Obama said. For eight years, yes, we can. Maybe he couldn't always. But when God says, yes, I can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can go through life together. He means it. Because he's in control. He is always able to fulfill his promises. The second thing is that God has to fulfill His promises. It's not because we're good. Because if we look at these people that the Lord is speaking to in Isaiah 43, they are a totally broken people. They mean absolutely nothing to the world. Listen to uh, the previous chapter. Chapter 42. His people have been plundered. They are locked up in dungeons and hidden away in prisons. 
They were robbed and plundered with no one to come to their rescue. This is their brokenness. This is how it is with them at the moment. Meaning nothing. And to them the Lord says, Do not be afraid. I will save you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Like he said this morning to Jack. Jack, I have called you by name. You are mine. He said to each one of us, you are mine, like he said to Israel. All these expressions we see in this verse show that Israel belongs to the Lord. We, like Israel, owe our origin, our identity, our character, the reason why we are here, to him. He has redeemed Israel. And he has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. No one could, could provide a future generation for Israel. Nobody could. They were in, in exile. But God fulfilled his duty that he promised when he brought them out of Egypt. And now he's bringing them out again. And because he has called us by our name... Because he has created us and formed us, we are his possession. And based on his grace, based on the covenant that he made with us, he compels himself to fulfill his promises. He say, I will do it because I am faithful, even though you are sometimes unfaithful. The third thing is God is eager to fulfill his promises. God wants to fulfill his promises. It is in his heart to do it. And the miracle of, of this grace is only seen if we, if we understand it against the background of the previous chapters. In the first 39 chapters, he, he, he described the sinfulness of Israel how they deserted God, how they had all kinds of agreements with other nations. And then he says in chapter 42, verse 18 to 25, that they were blind and deaf and stubborn. This was their identity without God. Blind and deaf and stubborn. The Lord says, Listen, you deaf people, look closely, you that are blind. Is anyone more blind than my servant? More deaf than my messenger, the messenger I send? You have ears to hear with. But what have you really heard? He says, what have you really heard? The situation which, in which they were was their own fault, not God's fault. They were punished, but still nothing changed. They landed up in exile. So he poured out on them his burning anger, the violence of war, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. 
It is not a matter of like looking at Jack this morning and say, what a beautiful boy. It is not saying how beautiful the people were. They were corrupt. They were pathetic. They were a sinful bunch of people. A tiny, miserable, and insignificant band of uprooted men and women. And precisely they are assured that God has not turned his back on them. To them the Lord says, I will give up whole nations to save your life because you are precious to me. Because I love you and give you honor. God's love is the reason why he takes this risk with us. We have a, a beautiful hymn in our Afrikaans hymn book of the Dutch Reformed Church where I come from. And it's difficult to translate because it's poetic. But it, it goes more or less like this. Before I could choose or ask for your favor, I discovered you have chosen me. You have found me before I could find you. Before I could choose or ask, your son carried the curse of my sin. I have found, you have forgiven before I could change my life or confess my sin. Even before anything I could do, you were there for me. You loved me as I am. Baptism of children is the clearest expression of this grace of God that is for everyone. Before we could even make a choice, before we could even understand, God commits himself to us and then calls upon us to live in fellowship with him throughout our lives. And that's what parents have to do to tell people of the love of God that they were created by Him, formed by Him, loved by Him, saved by Him, so that they would respond in faith. Jack, I have created you. You are my possession. I have called you by your name. You are mine. That should ring in his ears all the time so that he would respond and say, I believe. I love this Lord. In a certain sense, we can say this is God's white noise amidst our lives when there are a lot of voices telling us, you're not worth it. You've gone too far. This is the end. But there's one huge difference between white noise and what we heard this morning. It's true. That's the reality. That's God's love. If it sounds to be good, too, too good to be true, that's the gospel. It is true. Because God always surprises us 
brings about things that we've never heard or never understood. This is what the New Testament tells us. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of anything you are. It is by grace. Hans Walter Wolf, the German theologian, writes, God is the first and most fundamental reason we should not be afraid. He is on all sides to comfort and protect us. We are like children waking up in a, in a dark room. And the darkness overwhelms us. And we shout out and cry. And then, like a mother, God switches on lights. And we hear the footsteps coming closer. And we can run into his arms. Calming us down with a song of love. This is what... Isaiah 43 is a song of love, a song of care, a song for a broken people. It's not white noise because everything that he promised in Isaiah he has done in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, never wavers between yes and no. He is the divine yes. God's affirmation. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in him. That is why we say amen. When we give glory to God through Christ. Most of us here. Have been baptized. At some stage in our lives. Either as a child or maybe as an adult, we made a commitment to the Lord. And all that baptism is doing is to say, this is the content of God's grace to you. Jesus died for you so that you may live for him. But there's something deeper, something more important at stake when God commits himself to us. And we read it in verse 7. I will bring my people home from exile. Everyone who is called by my name. Not whose name I know. But who is called by my name. Who's, who, who has heard that his name has been proclaimed over them. God's name has been proclaimed over us. I have created 
you for my glory. For my glory. That's why you're here. Maybe today is the time for you to come home. God calls you from, from all places, from all situations to, to come home. Because he wants you to live in fellowship with him. He has formed you and made you. I want to close with a, a story. It is 1992 when Karen found out that she was pregnant. She already had a, a boy of about three years old. And he prepared, she prepared Michael, the, the boy, for this new sibling. They found out that the, the baby is going to be a girl. And from that moment, Michael always sang a little song to his little sister while she was still inside her mother. And in this way formed some kind of a bond with her. They were members of the United Methodist Church in Morristown, Tennessee. And then the labor pains came and things went horribly wrong. And she was rushed to the neonatal intensive care in St. Mary's Hospital, Knoxville, Tennessee. And the days inched by and she got worse and worse. And the specialist said, there is very little hope. Be prepared for the worst. And while they were preparing a room at home for a child, they found themselves planning a funeral. But Michael kept on begging that he would like to see his little sister. I want to sing to her, he said. After a week or two in intensive care, Michael kept on saying that and nagging and nagging and his mother took him along and they didn't want him there but the mother stood firm and she started, she, she just went in and he started singing. And he sang, You are my sunshine, my only Sunshine, you make me happy when skies are gray. And instantly, the baby seems to respond. Her pulse rate began to calm down and became steady. Keep on singing. His mother said, You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please, don't take my sunshine away. That very day, that girl improved. I want to show you a photograph of Merle in August 2008. 
2008, when she was already 16 years old. It was confirmed that this story is true by the grandmother, Karen Simmons Knapp. The hospital said it was a miracle. And the mother said it was a faithful God. God sings a song of love to us so often. Will it revive us? Will it make us respond so that eventually we can grow up and learn to trust the Lord as my grandchildren have to learn to trust me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you also sing to us You are my sunshine, my only sunshine, through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you love us and care for us. Lord, soften our hearts if it's been hardened over the years. Let us hear the songs of love. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I have created you and formed you. And I have saved you. Come, Spirit of God. Enter our hearts now by the power of your love and your word. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ in whom all your promises have been fulfilled. Amen.